0: chapters eleven through twenty of against celsus book one by origin translated by frederick crombie this librivox recording is in the public domain read by david ronald since then as reason teaches we must repose faith in some one of those who have been the introducers of sects among the Greeks or barbarians, why should we not rather believe in God, who is over all things, and in Him, who teaches that worship is due to God alone, and that other things are to be passed by, either as non-existent, or as existing indeed, and worthy of honour, but not of worship and reverence? and respecting these things he who not only believes but who contemplates things with the eye of reason will state the demonstrations that occur to him and which are the result of careful investigation and why should it not be more reasonable seeing all human things are dependent upon faith to believe god rather than them for who enters on a voyage or contracts a marriage or becomes the father of children or casts seed into the ground without believing that better things will result from so doing although the contrary might and sometimes does happen and yet the belief that better things even agreeably to their wishes will follow makes all men venture upon uncertain enterprises which may turn out differently from what they expect and if the hope and belief of a better future be the support of life in every uncertain enterprise why shall not this faith rather be rationally accepted by him who believes on better grounds than he who sails the sea or tills the ground or marries a wife or engages in any other human pursuit in the existence of a god who was the creator of all these things and in him with surpassing wisdom and divine greatness of mind dared to make known this doctrine to men in every part of the world at the cost of great danger and of a death considered infamous which he underwent for the sake of the human race having also taught those who were persuaded to embrace his doctrine at the first to proceed under the peril of every danger and of ever impending death to all quarters of the world to ensure the salvation of men In the next place, when Celsus says in express words, If they would answer me, not as if I were asking for information, for I am acquainted with all their opinions, but because I take an equal interest in them all, it would be well. And if they will not, but will keep reiterating as they generally do, do not investigate, etc., they must, he continues, explain to me at least of what nature these things are of which they speak, and whence they are derived etc now with regard to his statement that he is acquainted with all our doctrines we have to say that this is a boastful and daring assertion. For if he had read the prophets in particular, which are full of acknowledged difficulties, and of declarations that are obscure to the multitude, and if he had perused the parables of the Gospels, and the other writings of the Law, and of the Jewish history, and the utterances of the Apostles, and had read them candidly, with a desire to enter into their meaning, he would not have expressed himself with such boldness, nor said that he... Quote, Was acquainted with all their doctrines. End quote. Even we ourselves who have devoted much study to these writings would not say that quote, we were acquainted with everything, End quote. for we have a regard for truth. Not one of us will assert, quote, I know all the doctrines of Epicurus. End quote or will be confident that he knows all those of plato in the knowledge of the fact that so many differences of opinion exist among the expositors of these systems for who is so daring as to say that he knows all the opinions of the stoics or of the peripatetics unless indeed it should be the case that he has heard this boast i know them all from some ignorant and senseless individuals who do not perceive their own ignorance and should thus imagine from having had such persons as his teachers that he was acquainted with them all such an one appears to me to act very much as a person would do who had visited egypt where the egyptian savans learned in their country's literature are greatly given to philosophizing about those things which are regarded among them as divine, but where the vulgar, hearing certain myths, the reasons of which they do not understand, are greatly elated because of their fancied knowledge, and who should imagine that he is acquainted with the whole circle of Egyptian knowledge after having been a disciple of the ignorant alone, and without having associated with any of the priests, or having learned the mysteries of the Egyptians from any other source. And what I have said regarding the learned and ignorant among the Egyptians, I might have said also of the Persians, among whom there are mysteries conducted on rational principles by the learned among them, but understood in a symbolical sense by the more superficial of the multitude. And the same remark applies to the Syrians and Indians and to all those who have a literature and a mythology. But since Celsus has declared it to be a saying of many Christians that, the wisdom of this life is a bad thing but the foolishness is good we have to answer that he slanders the gospel not giving the words as they actually occur in the writings of paul where they run as follows if any one among you seemeth to be wise in this world let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of the world is foolishness with god the apostle therefore does not say simply that wisdom is foolishness with god but the wisdom of this world and again not if any one among you seemeth to be wise let him become a fool universally but let him become a fool in this world that he may become wise we term then the wisdom of this world every false system of philosophy which according to the scriptures is brought to nought and we call foolishness good not without restriction but when a man becomes foolish as to this world as if we were to say that the platonists who believes in the immortality of the soul and in the doctrine of its metempsychosis incurs the charge of folly with the stoics who discard this opinion and with the peripatetics who babble about the subtleties of plato and with the epicureans who call it superstition to introduce a providence and to place a god over all things moreover that it is in agreement with the spirit of christianity of much more importance to give our assent to doctrines upon grounds of reason and wisdom than on that of faith merely and that it was only in certain circumstances that the latter course was desired by christianity in order not to leave men altogether without help is shown by that genuine disciple of jesus paul when he says for after that in the wisdom of god the world by wisdom knew not god it pleased god by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe now By these words it is clearly shown that it is by the wisdom of God that God ought to be known. But as this result did not follow, it pleased God a second time to save them that believed not by folly, universally, but by such foolishness as depended on preaching. For the preaching of Jesus Christ as crucified is foolishness of preaching, as Paul also perceived when he said, But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling-block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and wisdom of God. Celsus, being of opinion that there is to be found among many nations a general relationship of doctrine enumerates all the nations which gave rise to such and such opinions but for some reason unknown to me he casts a slight upon the jews not including them amongst the others as having either laboured along with them and arrived at the same conclusions or as having entertained similar opinions on many subjects it is proper therefore to ask him why he gives credence to the histories of the barbarians and greeks respecting the antiquity of those nations of whom he speaks but stamps the histories of this nation alone as false for if the respective writers related the events which are found in these works in the spirit of truth why should we distrust the prophets of the jews alone And if Moses and the prophets have recorded many things in their history from a desire to favor their own system, why should we not say the same of the historians of other countries? Or, when the Egyptians of their histories speak evil of the Jews, are they to be believed on that point? But the Jews, when saying the same thing of the Egyptians, and in declaring that they had suffered great injustice at their hands, and that on this account they had been persecuted by God, are to be charged with falsehood and this applies not to the egyptians alone but to others for we shall find that there was a connection between the assyrians and the jews and that this is recorded in the ancient histories of the assyrians and so also the jewish historians i avoid using the word prophets that i may not appear to prejudge the case have related that the assyrians were enemies of the jews Observe at once, then, the arbitrary procedure of this individual who believes the histories of these nations on the ground of their being learned, and condemns others as being wholly ignorant, for listen to the statement of Celsus, quote, there is, he says, an authoritative account from the very beginning, respecting which there is a constant agreement among all the most learned nations, and cities, and men, End quote and yet will not call the Jews a learned nation in the same way in which he does the Egyptians, and Assyrians, and Indians, and Persians, and Odrysians, and Samothracians and Eleusinians. How much more impartial than Celsus is Numenius, the Pythagorean, who has given many proofs of being a very eloquent man, and who has carefully tested many opinions, and collected together from many sources what had the appearance of truth, For, in the first book of his treatise, On the Good, speaking of those nations who have adopted the opinion that God is incorporeal, he enumerates the Jews also among those who hold this view, not showing any reluctance to use even the language of their prophets in his treatise and to give it a metaphorical signification. It is said, moreover, that Hermippus has recorded in his first book on lawgivers that it was from the jewish people that pythagoras derived the philosophy which he introduced among the greeks and there is extant a work by the historian hecateus treating of the jews in which so high a character is bestowed upon that nation for its learning that heranias philo in his treatise on the jews has doubts in the first place whether it is really the composition of the historian and says in the second place that if really his it is probable that he was carried away by the plausible nature of the jewish history and so yielded his assent to their system i must express my surprise that celsus should class the odrysians and samothracians and eleusinians and hyperboreans among the most ancient and learned nations and should not deem the jews worthy of a place among such either for their learning or their antiquity although there are many treatises in circulation among the egyptians and phoenicians and greeks which testify to their existence as an ancient people but which i have considered it unnecessary to quote for any one who chooses may read what flavius josephus has recorded in his two books where he brings together a great collection of writers who bear witness to the antiquity of the Jewish people, and there exists the discourse to the Greeks of Tatian, the younger, in which, with very great learning, he enumerates those historians who have treated of the antiquity of the Jewish nation and of Moses. It seems, then, to be not from a love of truth, but from a spirit of hatred, that Celsus makes these statements, his object being to asperse the origin of Christianity, which is connected with Judaism. Nay, he styles the Galactophagi of homer and the druids of the gauls and the Getae most learned and ancient tribes on account of the resemblance between their traditions and those of the jews although i know not whether any of their history survive but the hebrews alone as far as in him lies he deprives of the honour both of antiquity and learning And again, when making a list of ancient and learned men who have conferred benefits upon their contemporaries by their deeds and upon posterity of their writings, he excluded Moses from the number. While of Linus, to whom Celsus assigns a foremost place in his list, there exist neither laws nor discourses which produced a change for the better among any tribes, whereas a whole nation, dispersed throughout the entire world, obey the laws of Moses consider then whether it is not from open malevolence that he has expelled moses from his catalogue of learned men while asserting that linus and musaeus and orpheus and Phariseides and the persian zoroaster and pythagoras discussed these topics and that their opinions were deposited in books and have thus been preserved down to the present time And it is intentionally also that he has omitted to take notice of the myth, embellished chiefly by Orpheus, in which the gods are described as affected by human weaknesses and passions. In what follows, Celsus, assailing the Mosaic history, finds fault with those who give it a tropical and allegorical signification, and here one might say to this great man who inscribed upon his own work the title of a true discourse why good sir do you make it a boast to have it recorded that the gods should engage in such adventures as are described by your learned poets and philosophers and be guilty of abominable intrigues and of engaging in wars against their own fathers and of cutting off their secret parts and should dare to commit and to suffer such enormities While Moses, who gives no such accounts respecting God, nor even regarding the holy angels, and who relates deeds of far less atrocity regarding man, for in his writings no one ever ventured to commit such crimes as Cronos did against Uranus, or Zeus against his father, or that of the father of men and gods who had intercourse with his own daughter, should be considered as having deceived those who were placed under his laws and to have led them into error. And here Celsus seems to me to act somewhat as Thryasimachus, the Platonic philosopher, did when he would not allow Socrates to answer regarding justice as he wished, but said, Take care not to say that utility is justice or duty or anything of that kind. For in like manner, Celsus assails as he thinks the mosaic histories and finds fault with those who understand them allegorically at the same time bestowing also some praise upon those who do so to the effect that they are more impartial than those who do not and thus as it were he prevents by his cavils those who are able to show the true state of the case from offering such a defence as they would wish to offer and challenging a comparison of book with book i would say come now good sir take down the poems of linus and of musaeus and of orpheus and the writings of phariseides and carefully compare these with the laws of moses histories with histories and ethical discourses with laws and commandments and see which of the two are the better fitted to change the character of the hearer on the very spot and which to harden him in his wickedness and observe that your series of writers display little concern for those readers who are to peruse them at once unaided but have composed their philosophy as you term it for those who are able to comprehend its metaphorical and allegorical signification whereas moses like a distinguished orator who meditates some figure of rhetoric and who carefully introduces in every part language of twofold meaning has done this in his five books neither offering in the portion which relates to morals any handle to his jewish subjects for committing evil nor yet giving to the few individuals who are endowed with greater wisdom and who are capable of investigating his meaning a treatise devoid of material for speculation but of your learned poets the very writings would seem no longer to be preserved although they would have been carefully treasured up if the readers had perceived any benefit likely to be derived from them whereas the works of moses have stirred up many who were even aliens to the manners of the jews to the belief that as these writings testify the first who enacted these laws and delivered them to moses was the god who was the creator of the world for it became the creator of the universe after laying down laws for its government to confer upon his words a power which might subdue all men in every part of the earth and this i maintain having as yet entered into no investigation regarding jesus but still demonstrating that moses who is far inferior to the lord is as the discourse will show greatly superior to your wise poets and philosophers after these statements celsus from a secret desire to cast discredit upon the mosaic account of the creation which teaches that the world is not yet ten thousand years old but very much under that while concealing his wish, intimates his agreement with those who hold that the world is uncreated. For, maintaining that there have been, from all eternity, many conflagrations and many deluges, and that the flood which lately took place in the time of Deocalion is comparatively modern, he clearly demonstrates to those who are able to understand him that, to his opinion, the world was uncreated but let this assailant of the christian faith tell us by what arguments he was compelled to accept this statement that there have been many conflagrations and many cataclysms and that the flood which occurred in the time of Deocalian and the conflagration in that of phaethon were more recent than any others and if he should put forward the dialogues of plato as evidence on these subjects we shall say to him that it is allowable for us also to believe that there resided in the pure and pious soul of moses who ascended above all created things and united himself to the creator of the universe and who made known divine things with far greater clearness than plato or those other wise men who lived among the greeks and the romans as spirit which was divine and if he demand of us our reasons for such a belief, let him first give grounds for his own unsupported assertions, and then we shall show that this view of ours is the correct one. And yet, against his will, Celsus is entangled into testifying that the world is comparatively modern and not yet ten thousand years old, when he says that the Greeks consider those things as ancient, because owing to the deluges and conflagrations they have not beheld or received any memorials of older events but let celsus have as his authorities for the myth regarding the conflagrations and inundations those persons who in his opinion are the most learned of the egyptians traces of whose wisdom are to be found in the worship of irrational animals and in arguments which prove that such a worship of god is in conformity with reason and of a secret and mysterious character the egyptians then when they boastfully give their own account of the divinity of animals are to be considered wise but if any jew who has signified his adherence to the law and the lawgiver refer everything to the creator of the universe and the only god he is in the opinion of celsus and those like him deemed inferior to him who degrades the divinity not only to the level of rational and mortal animals but even to that of irrational also a view which goes far beyond the mythical doctrine of transmigration according to which the soul falls down from the summit of heaven and enters into the body of brute beasts both tame and savage And if the Egyptians related fables of this kind, they are believed to convey a philosophical meaning by their enigmas and mysteries. But if Moses compose and leave behind him histories and laws for an entire nation, they are to be considered as empty fables, the language of which admits of no allegorical meaning. End of chapters 11 through 20 of Against Celsus by Origen, Read by David Ronald